I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So last week we talked about Fleabag. Our favourite show, Fleabag. Our favourite show of the year so far, I, I think say. it is fast becoming like yeah. my big thing of the year. On BBC Three, if you didn't see it, most of it is still on iPlayer. Yeah, it's on iPlayer for five months. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, do all go and catch that. We've I had... think the final episode is out this week. Ah, fantastic. So we've had an email from Amy about it. She says, I didn't realise this was now a BBC Three sitcom. I was lucky enough to see this as a one-woman show back in January 2015. It was pure brilliance, laugh out loud hilarious, touching and honest, and yes, majorly cringeworthy. Worked really, really well in the intimate confessional one-hander format. And me and my friend loitered unashamedly afterwards to make Phoebe drink with us. Sadly in vain, but that was the vibe of the show. Um, (laughs) I can imagine it was the vibe of the show. Yeah, which is really interesting. So you interviewed Phoebe Waller-Bridge just recently didn't you yeah i found her like such a delight to talk to and i think she also did a little q a for the big issue recently where they asked her about karaoke all these Mm. different (laughs) questions about karaoke and she had all these fun stories about how she like dragged her husband's karaoke on one of their first dates and how olivia coleman is a secret like amazing karaoke person i can totally see that i actually really i really like the olivia coleman anecdotes in your interview as well yeah like how they were in a play together a few years ago or something and olivia coleman was like yeah you know you, I'm interested in your stuff so like if you ever have anything that you think I'd be good for do get in touch <laughs> and yeah. so then what Phoebe Waller-Bridge writes for her is the creepy stepmother <laughs> in Fleabag and Olivia Coleman's like yes I'll do that yeah if Phoebe um, kept using the word naughty and she said that was a really naughty role and mm-hmm. I think that's such a good way to describe it so yeah she's really she's really fun and I found her like a complete delight to talk to and she was very good at like switching between talking about you know something really really bleak and depressing and then just like laughing off with a little Mm. joke which is obviously the sort of vibe that you get watching Fleabag which continues to get sadder and sadder it does indeed I have now watched all of it and I'm still thinking about it it's so dark by the end but so completely compelling that yeah I can't even compare the reaction I've had had to it to anything else I've seen this year yeah and when I finished watching the last episode which I won't describe for anyone because you really do just have to go into it blind but when I finished watching it I watched it again immediately from the beginning because I was just like oh 
my god, that was so good. And I was just sobbing and had to repeat it again. There were three monologues in that whole series that I just thought were amazing. So the one with Hugh Dennis that I think we touched upon yes. when we were talking about it. How and dare then, Hugh Dennis, the man from Mock the Week, give me such feels? Exactly. And then there's one from Fleabag right at the end that re- is really gutting. And there's an, a great one from Olivia Colman as well, where she's at an art exhibition of her own yeah. work that is just one of the most cutting and powerful monologues basically about power in your relationships Mm. and sex and yeah so so good so I'd love to see her doing more stuff and she did sort of hint to me at the end of her interview that she had some exciting projects coming up so I can't wait to see what she does next yeah so we'll link to Anna's interview with her in the show notes so you can go check that out but we we can't recommend it highly enough really this is an unusual double recommend from us we (laughs) talked about it last episode we're talking about it again Uh, and I'm sure we will end up if we do our best things of the year at the end of the year like we did last year yeah you will hear more about it no doubt about it so the thing that we're going to be talking about first this week is a new album from Frank Ocean so Frank Ocean blessed the world with his first studio album Channel Orange all the way back in 2012 It was a critical and popular success, and since then, many have been waiting and waiting for his next release. Then this weekend, Ocean released three new works at once, a so-called visual album titled Endless, which streamed on Apple Music, a zine called Boys Don't Cry, and his second studio album, Blonde. So it's a real jumble of different things. I think the most exciting part of the weekend for a lot of people was when they realised that Frank Ocean had set up these sort of pop-up shops in random news Uh agents in four different cities. So there was one near the British Library. I was already asleep when this was announced (laughs) at sort of 1 or 1.30. So that was my kind of Saturday night. (laughs) But people who were still up and out doing things all went to this random news agent by the British Library and there were all these amazing magazines that contained a copy of the album, but also like a poem by Frank Ocean. There was a little poem by Kanye West in there about McDonald's, loads of pictures of cars, apparently, and all this sort of weird stuff. Before that, we'd had the the sort of the visual stream mm. of Frank Ocean, like building a staircase out of some wood <laughs> set to a few new tracks. And then the, the actual sort of big mainstream album release came finally at the end of the weekend. And I spent a rather lazy Sunday sort of listening to it and napping which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, and I was going to say, that is very much the kind of feeling of the album. It's quite trippy and heady, I found. Mm-hmm. Blonde, like hazy, I mean. yeah. Yeah, it's got quite a lot of synthy organ and modified vocals that are quite ethereal and that kind of thing on it. So it does feel, I mean, maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but a little bit Bjorky, actually. I find that it's that weird line between... So Channel Orange, when it came out, I went on a holiday with my dad to Spain and I listened to it like the entire time on repeat. And for me, a lot of Frank Ocean's work straddles that that line between being like really good, you're lying on the sun lounger, relaxing by the pool vibe but it can tip over into you like staring at the sky, like wondering (laughs) what the point of it all is and why you're even on this planet. So it's sort of like a nice holiday relax until it like pushes you over the edge and you're like, fuck man, (laughs) what am I doing on this little planet? I found this album like very emotional. Mm. It's like very, very soulful. There are points in this album where you feel like maybe he's taking the piss out of you almost because he'll come in with like a random like vulgar lyric but he'll do it in such a way that it still feels very poignant and still feels emotional. There's a line in this where he says if you still need dick then I got you 
but it's done in such a way that just makes you think about all those sort of weird intimate tangential relationships you've had with people that are not very easily definable but Mm. are still some sort of support there's a bit in it's one of the songs early on blonde yeah nike's like nike's where he he says trayvon he looked like me yeah which that's re- that's a real punch in the yeah, gut. Yeah, when I first time I heard that, I was like, oh god. Which is obviously a reference to Trayvon Martin, shot by police, and become a kind of really iconic figure in the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and all that kind of stuff. I also found that on Solo, where you get these sort of police sirens, mm. almost these like very abstract noises, but they do make you think of police sirens coming in. And then the Andre three thousand verse that's yeah. like amazing and super fast that also references some police brutality issues. But I think the overriding themes of his work, I think probably in the same way as Channel Orange is are a bit more existential and a bit more to do with like loneliness and purpose yeah. and they're very big complicated abstract vague things that are hard to pin down and I think for me I'm going to struggle to really articulate I would never be able to be like this is what this album is about the other thing that I found with it as well is that despite the fact of how hugely anticipated it is I mean like waiting for Frank Ocean has long been a meme it's still the first time I listened to it I still felt like he was talking to me even though you know that this album has been four years in the making it doesn't feel overproduced Mm. there's still a real colloquial tone because he can do this sort of style of music that's between singing and rapping and talking and is something else at points i read a quote from him describing his own singing style Mm -hmm. once where he said he was a baritone with tenor moments Mm -hmm. which that's nice it was a really good description that i was kind of looking for because i like to analyze singers voices Mm -hmm. specifically and quite technically sometimes when i like their music and i was like yeah his range is weirdly he's got that amazing falsetto yeah. but he actually uses it very sparingly yeah. because i think he's very well known for it surprises you when it comes in yeah. yeah and after thinking about you i think he's so you so you almost expect that that falsetto from him but in blonde especially it's really only used at like the most key moments and he keeps quite a lot of the rest of it in a low register mm-hmm. which can sound a little bit more spoken and, yeah. and like definite and emphatic it's interesting that he, I like that phrase, the baritone with tenor moments, especially because there's so much, there's been a lot of speculation about like gender and sexuality and the mm. portrayal of masculinity that goes on in Frank Ocean's work. I guess because he did this Tumblr post after Channel Orange was released where he said that you know, his first love was a man. Mm. Um, and that's, I think that's basically all he's said about his sexuality. Yeah, I'm not and aware he, of saying any more. Yeah, and he sings two women off. and two men on his albums. Yeah. But that's, yeah, as you say, it's kicked off a lot of speculation about that element of his Mm. sort of stage persona, as it were. And then with Blonde, uh, you know, you get an album that is, is, its title uses one of the very few words in English that is still gendered. And on the cover, it's Blonde without any, and on the title when you download the album on your iTunes or whatever, that it's Blonde with an E. So he's obviously intentionally playing with that idea. So I like the idea that he was like, yeah, I'm a baritone with tenor moments. I contain all these multitudes. And he did does say in the Boys Don't Cry zine, um, when he's talking about his fixation with cars, he's like, you know, someone said to me that maybe it's a, a straight boy fantasy of mine to be into cars. But <laughs> actually, I'm just accepting that it's all good. Like, mm-hmm. I can have I can have all this stuff at once, which is great. I love that about him. I love how big he is on Tumblr, incidentally. Yeah, yeah. It's he's like f- a Tumblr persona, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. He does his own Tumblr as well. I'm yeah. going to very confidently say that that is not stage managed. I, th- I found it really interesting how the delay surrounding the album has, like, between people I follow on Twitter, certainly anyway, 
sparked a lot of conversation about like how everything is rushed it obviously does become quite a lot of pressure for those artists to have people constantly being like where's the album where's the album and he does say in his um in his album notes like thanks for all of you he's made me realize that i had to finish this which was literally every single one of you haha <laughs> <laughs> i loved that so much the little haha at the end but there is something to the fact that and i suppose you can think of frank ocean on one side and Kanye west on the other really that because you can just upload an album and everyone can download it within seconds mm. and then seconds later it seems like have their thoughts on it mm. when it can all be so instantaneous surely like hovering on the precipice of like clicking upload mm-hmm. must feel absolutely awful yeah yeah and, whereas and on, someone like kanye who's just like yeah have some more have yeah some more. exactly and he's like oh it's a different version oh wait no now it's a fashion yeah. show oh also this whereas frank ocean has clearly just been like sitting in front of the computer being like not yet <laughs> not yet apple music i will not click go yet <laughs> uh, yeah well i found it completely worth the wait and i'm excited to keep listening to it and i'm gonna take it away with me on holiday and i think that'll be really nice yeah Now we're going to talk about Swallows and Amazons in the new film adaptation of Arthur Ransom's novel from 1930 of the same name. It follows the adventures of the Walker children as they go sailing in the Lake District on their summer holidays and discover pirates, spies and much more besides. Among the adult cast you see Jessica Hines, Rafe Spall, Harry Enfield and Sherlock's Andrew Scott, i.e. Moriarty. Jolly Roger, that's their sign. Who are you? I'm Nancy Blackett, part owner of the Amazon. Give us back our island. How frightened are you? All the pirate who sent you. She means Uncle Jim. Shut up, you donkey. Mmm, this is a classic Caroline movie, I feel. I would dispute that because I don't think this movie is very good. Well, I think the topic in general of oh, like yeah. kids having a great time sailing is something that I can imagine absolutely captured your oh, imagination the as a book, child. The book is a very important book to me. Yeah. And the book is really good and very interesting. Actually, I've reread it as an adult and there are lots of like things in it that you don't see when you're a child. But I don't think this is a very good film adaptation of that book because none of that stuff is in there. In your mind, what are the major things this film gets wrong about the book? In the broadest sense, it doesn't look like the Lake District because it is not the Lake District. Oh, I didn't even realise. I've never been to the Lake District. They filmed it most of it in Yorkshire. Right. And there's quite a lot of CGI involved, which means that the lake looks really empty. There's no one else on it. There's no like houses around it. Whereas the Lake District in 1930 and the Lake District today is full of people having fun on the water, people working on the land, people doing stuff. And the book is really into that. Like they're always meeting people or like trying to get out of people's way or worried that they're, you know, going to cause accidents or whatever. And it's a big part of how the like tension in the book happens. That also changes how unsafe it feels like the children yeah. are because if they're a part of the, the danger in the book is that they're going to like drown and no one's going to be around to save them. Yeah, exactly. And this film is a apparently been in development for a really long time. I found an interview from 2011 where someone from BBC Films was saying how they'd taken the decision not to like update the book and make the children wear life jackets mm-hmm. and any of the like safety stuff you would now do if you 
were allowing mm-hmm. young teenagers to go sailing on their own on a lake and camp on an island and all this kind of stuff. They decided not to do that. Although they did update one of the children's names. Is her name Titty, I hear? Yes. Titty. They made it Tatty in the Tatty book. is not a name though, is it? No, I know. Which kind of made me sad. And I also feel like they've been quite selective with that kind of update. So they update that... But they don't update the fact that the other kids are wearing like red Indian headdresses. Yeah, or that there's like not a single face of colour yeah. anywhere to be seen. So, so I sort this. of feel like either you can't s- have it both ways. Yeah, either we're going with the like 1930s take on everything jolly hockey sticks titties galore yeah or we're not (laughs) or it's a story for 2016 Mm -hmm. kind of thing so that was i felt a bit weird Mm -hmm. it also doesn't help that there's a really good tv version from 1973 right which far outstrips everything i saw in this one Mm -hmm. in the sense that like this one didn't have didn't have any of the songs in it oh really yeah that sounds fun yeah exactly and it didn't have any of their like cod interpretation of the popular culture of the time and it's actually titty who has all of these thoughts because she's like the voracious reader Mm -hmm. and she was the one i very much like saw myself standing in for when i read the books and you know when they first climb up on the hill and see the lake when they first arrive she does a really bad quotation of you know the keats poem where they looked at each other with a wild surmise silent on a peak in darien you know (laughs) like columbus first seeing the ocean you know that kind of stuff they took all of that out Mm. and like all the bad quotations and the funny songs are all gone. Yeah, so you felt the spirit of it yeah, was sort of missing in I that did. sense. And I felt like they'd made it a bit too generic northern. Mm. So like none of the accents of any of the adults bore any relation to what Cumbria actually sounds like. Yeah, Harry Enfield played a very one-dimensional kind of like, I'm a grumpy man. I had a real issue with some yeah. of the casting there. You know, I just approached this like a film because yeah. I've not read yeah. the book. And I found it the Harry Enfield, Jessica Hines couple thing. I'm sorry. How old is Jessica Hines? <laughs> I know. It's so I actually want to look it up because like that was so, so frustrating. Harry Enfield's playing like a practically on death's door old father and then 43-year-old Jessica Hines is his like world-weary wife. And it just made me like so annoyed that you, she's already slipped into those basically granny-ish roles. Uh, oh, so annoying. Yeah, that was really frustrating actually. Also, their characters, because they play the family whose farm it is that the Walker children and their mum are staying at. Mm -hmm. And in the book, they're quite well-rounded characters. They're in lots of the subsequent sequels. Like, Mm -hmm. they have relationships with the children. Like, you know, they actually are people that you feel like you know. And in this, they were just like the one joke where Harry Enfield would mutter something and Jessica Hines would be like, oh. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, it's so annoying. So I generally felt like the worst dynamics of the original book, i.e. the fact that it's like the posh children coming from London to have their holidays in the Lake District, were amplified mm-hmm. in this film. Because at least in the book, they are posh children coming from elsewhere, but they're so interested and curious about the landscape and the people who work there that you kind of forgive them for their outsiderish mm-hmm. ignorance. Particularly because the Blackets, the two girls that they make friends with, are from there and like introduce them to the ways of the place and like they really come to love the place and the landscape for what it is rather than what they imagine it should be mm-hmm. you didn't, all we got in the film was posh children sailing yeah but there was another element to this film which i heartily enjoyed yes which is there's a spy plot line which i hear is not in the original story no, at all it's nothing to do that at all so if you haven't read swallows and amazons or seen it and don't want to be spoiled you know mm-hmm. duck out now but in the film, I'm not quite sure why. I guess maybe to give it 
a kind of more definite narrative arc or something, they inserted this idea that the Blackett girls, Nancy and Peggy, their uncle is a kind of grumpy man with a houseboat. That much is in the book. And a parrot on his on his shoulder and he's is got that a, in the book as yes, well? Yes, he's okay. got a parrot. So, so there is this sort of pirate figure Yeah, in the so they like to pretend that he's a pirate. And also he's really grumpy and doesn't want to spend any time with his nieces or their friends. So he kind of stays holed up in his boat. In the book, this is because he is writing a book. He is writing a memoir. And that's why he doesn't want to play with them. And then there's a burglary on his houseboat and his book manuscript is stolen and the children help recover it. And then he realises that actually they were just trying to have fun with him and they weren't trying to piss him off and mm-hmm. like all's well that ends well. Mm-hmm. In the film... In the film, that's a facade. Yeah. The, the fact that he's a writer to cover up the fact that he's actually an international spy. He's like a Cold War spy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is crazy, but I found really fun. Yeah, and as I mentioned, like Andrew Scott of Moriarty fame reprises effectively his role as Moriarty in this. Yeah, love it. I sat next to him in the theatre once yeah. and was like, ooh, Moriarty. As a kind of Russian spy hunter. <laughs> yeah. And it's I... absurd and very, very silly because apparently international secrecy could be thwarted by like two kids with a little boat and some rope. Yeah. Uh, but it's still sort of entertaining yeah and actually i agree that having sat in a grump all the way through this film about the things i've mentioned that plot line was kind of the best thing about it in Mm. the sense that i really enjoyed the whole like action sequence with the seaplane i really enjoyed andrew scott switching between his like posh moriarty voice and his russian accent yeah i just found his whole performance really funny where he would like be sat in a corner and you didn't notice him and being just like obscenely horrible to children for no reason (laughs) like all of that stuff really fun I enjoyed how he and his like Russian mate were obviously not enjoying being in the Lake District at all mm-hmm. and kept complaining about how cold it was mm-hmm. and how they kept getting rained on and stuff. And yeah, that was really amusing. But as I say, that's really nothing to do with Swallows and Amazons. <laughs> you could have a whole separate they film just of made that. A, yeah, they should have maybe just made a really fun spy movie. Yeah, like the adventures of like... I don't know, Boris and Stefan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would watch that for sure. So, you know, filmmakers, maybe just get me and Caroline in the old writer's room. <laughs> yeah, we'll totally write that for you. Because this is only the second film adaptation of Swallows and Amazons, despite mm. it being... is the as, as in the first, is the TV the first, one. It, it was like a for TV film, I think, mm-hmm. which I had on a VHS when I was a child and my sister and I watched it constantly. Oh. There was a musical of it that the National Theatre did a few years ago. I bet that was quite good. That was quite good. With songs by my favourite, Neil Hannon of the Divine Comedy. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So that was, obviously they couldn't do any of the sailing stuff, or they they did it with like tiny boats behind a screen, like shadow puppets, but there was lots more of the like songs and general jollity and it just had more of that kind of make do and mend yeah like scratching a childhood out of wartime type vibe yeah did you warm to any of the children in this uh they were very cute and very Aryan children Mm. (laughs) there was something about it that i was a bit like i'm not going to be able to articulate it very well but i was like wow this is a real like vision of like blonde white britishness Mm. with these children they just looked absolutely perfect and the boys were both very adorable and the girls were both like you know picture perfect so you they're kind of irresistibly cute in that sense but I just felt a bit like weird about it. And also they didn't have like enormous personalities. The youngest kid, Roger, he had the biggest laugh in my screening, which was mostly old people, not any actual children, when he 
someone says, look, it's the Jolly Roger. And Roger goes, I don't feel very jolly. <laughs> Enormous laugh in the Chelsea cine world. <laughs> I'm not sure, really. I liked the girls. Overwhelmingly, I felt like I was watching a story of, like, blonde, entitled, posh, Aryan children invading an island run by powerful women and imposing their European patriarchal <laughs> systems upon the island and so i was really rooting for the blackets i found rather mm. than the walkers yeah so that's what i mean by the fact that the the film amplified like the worst aspects of the book because mm-hmm. in the book they do do that a bit but then they kind of like talk it out and everyone learns a bit and it's like oh we probably shouldn't have done that oh well you're welcome let's be friends like mm-hmm. there wasn't really that kind of mitigating sense of accommodation Mm, rather Um, than these blonde kids like soaring mm. in with their brand new boat going this is Walker Island now I name it after myself who are these Amazons they don't call it that in the book they call it Wildcat Island Mm. because they think it sounds like cool and strange yeah you know so I I feel like the book was quite badly served by this film Mm. well there we go I think we're going to all have to go and watch this 70s TV film it's all on YouTube So last week I recommended that Anna have a go at the BBC TV series All Creatures Great and Small from the late 70s, I believe. Anna, what did you make of it? I was just thinking when we were talking about swallows and Amazons that there's actually some thematic crossover here, right? <laughs> about like the kind of posh southern person arriving in the northern town and not really knowing any of the slang, but being so taken with the landscape and the people that they just try their hardest to mm. like fit in. Which is basically what's going on in this TV series, from yeah. what I can tell from the, the bits that I've watched. So the central character, Jim, is actually supposed to be from Edinburgh. Oh, right. But I think he's... He's, he's definitely not got an Ed- Edinburgh accent no, in the show. But I think in the memoirs that the series is based on, mm-hmm. you kind of get the sense that you know he's like a kind of posh Scot, so he has, presumably in real life, that kind of soft Scottish accent that can sound quite quickly London-y if it's around other London mm-hmm. people kind of thing. But yeah, in the TV series, the actor who plays him just does it with RP. So he's a recently qualified vet and he comes to this town because there's a potential for him to get a job as like the apprentice of the like village vet or town vet. Mm. And he arrives there and the actual vet is nowhere to be seen. So he's sort of making a go of basically being the apprentice temporarily while this guy is sort of off doing a job or something. And this guy comes to the door and this bit did make me laugh quite a lot where he's describing to him all the ailments that his cow is suffering from. But he does it using all this regional language that the, the new guy is just like completely. And he's saying stuff like, she's only firing two from two cylinders, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, mm, I don't know, actually know if he's talking about a cow at all. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so he just like repeats it basically verbatim to the vet once he actually turns up. And then, you know, you realize that cylinder means bit of udder 
and all these other Mm. you know slang terms but he's basically just trying to like find his feet without knowing the sort of customs and norms of the of his surroundings so that's where a lot of the humor comes from basically this like very straight tweedy guy like rubbing up against all these real characters which is yeah it's it's funny definitely yeah and it's quite comforting i find because as a show the way it's structured is there's normally like two or three different animal cases per Mm -hmm. episode and it's really it really goes for it with the animal case by the way like you see a lot of bits of animals like i definitely saw a man pull his arm out of the ass of a horse yeah. on this program <laughs> like stuff that i don't think they would put on telly in that much detail now they actually had to do that as well like the actors uh, actually did it because you know that's what a real vet does if it like needs a to, shit like... slick arm like you don't normally see that yep. before the watershed yep yeah they definitely do do that mm. and so you'll normally get like a sort of slightly tragic farm case you'll get like a slightly funny one mm-hmm. and then you'll get a kind of ongoing up update on like someone we've been following for a while Mm -hmm. sort of thing and then around that you get the personal stories of the three guys really who live in the vet practice Jim, the apprentice, Siegfried, who's the kind of... Booming is how I'd describe booming. him. Yes, that's how the book describes him, I think. He mm. booms. Uh, Siegfried, who's like the head of the practice. And then, I don't know if you've met him in the ones that you've watched so far, um, Siegfried's brother, Tristan, who's still at vet- veterinary college. No, he's been mentioned several yeah. times as, as arriving soon. Yeah, so he drops in every so often because he's still at college and therefore only gets the holidays off. And when he's there, they use him as like unqualified free labor (laughs) so he does a lot of like doing all the bills and like having to look after the pigs and doing the like boring easy jobs that he can be trusted with but he's kind of a bit of a lad and is quite popular with the ladies so Mm. he's constantly trying to find ways to evade his responsibilities and he and his brother constantly have massive fights and every fight they have Siegfried sacks him and, and like kicks him out from his unpaid labor <laughs> well no from his role as his brother oh oh yeah. <laughs> and, that's really funny um, my favorite Tristan moment ever is when he goes out on a bell ringers outing which i think is just like a local piss up and then the following morning Siegfried comes down and he's like Tristan's not back his bed's not been slept in and Jay's like oh maybe he stayed over with someone whatever and James goes out to his car to start his day's work and Tristan is asleep in his car and he's been sick all over the passenger seat and he's just like sprawled on the on the steering wheel one thing that i get from watching these like older series is just how like structurally and stylistically different they are from TV mm. that we watch now. I noticed in this that they'll that things will happen in a way that you would expect them to be like a Chekhov's gun in normal TV. So like there'll be a very short conversation about who's paying for the beers, and it just goes nowhere. Mm. They just put that in. It's like <laughs> something to be there in the yeah. and so it, that's really weird to me watching and seeing like people come in with asides every now and then, or like you know a camera will linger on something ominously in a way that if you were watching like. Midsummer Murders today, you would know exactly Mm. why that was going to reappear and when. And there's just none of that in this. It's like quite leisurely and quite sort of scatty Mm. in a way that's quite appealing. The shots are also a lot longer as well. So quite really long in a way that you would never get in a sort of countryside based TV program now. They'll just like film a road for a few seconds and you'll be like, is a car going to emerge on this road? No. Why are we doing this? And there's like a panorama of like Mm. the lands. There's lots of sort of bits where our new young vet like breathes deeply and looks out over the landscape and then you get this like long panorama of like some fuzzy hills and you're like okay <laughs> i mean they look all right i guess whereas like today that there, there would be like i don't know some ridiculous cgi to try and really make it mm. pack a punch and it would still not last that long so yeah it's it's completely different to anything 
that I would watch now, it's extremely quaint. Yeah. And it was quite relaxing to watch mm. for now. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Mm. What are you going to recommend for me next time? So next time, I thought we could talk about a film that I saw a little while ago when I was interviewing Sean Heeder. And the film stars oh. Alison Janney and Ellen Page, who you will remember from Juno, of course. Great co-stars in that movie. And it's about a girl called Tallulah who is basically having one of those moments in her life where she doesn't know what she's doing. She gets dumped and she, when she goes looking for her recent ex-boyfriend, she finds a baby who is in a state of neglect. And it all unfolds from there and Alice and Johnny gets involved. And it's really interesting and it's quite weird. There's some elements at the beginning and end which make this film quite strange. So I'll be very interested to hear what you think about it. Mm, I look forward to it. I'm a big fan of those two together and on screen. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch... You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.